And we're back with another episode of the podcast. Before we get started, I want to support some former guests of the show and some things they've got going on. The first one is Anna Wolf and her new book that's out now, Sex and Stigma, about the legal brothel system in Nevada. It's sold on sold out on Amazon within the first week or before the first week. Anyway, I'm so happy for Anna and I want to see it sell out everywhere else. So if you're listening to this and you're curious, go back and listen to the episode. You'll hear how she came about writing the book and little tidbits of information that will leave you wanting to know more about what's in the book. And I want you to Google it, find it and purchase it and support Anna because she's a super cool human. The next one is fatpelicanclothingcompany.com or fatpelicanclothingcompany on Instagram. Go to their sites, find a t-shirt, sticker, hat, whatever it is. Their sweaters are super cool looking. Find it, buy it, support them. Josh and such a positive outlook on life and their inspirational story. If you want to listen to their episode, you can. If not, just go support them because uh, like Anna, super cool people. I don't get paid anything for these ads. I just want to see these people succeed. Just like my next one and my last one, as always, is rnkmobilerverepair.com. If you're traveling through Texas and you're in your RV or your camper and something's leaking or something's wobbling or shaking or you have a breakdown on the side of the road or you name it, name a problem that can happen with such a thing. Well, guess what? These guys come to you, they fix the problem real quick, and then they get out. And they leave you enjoying your vacation, enjoying your night's sleep with no leaky roof or windows or air conditioner problems or plumbing issues. They just take care of it all. So go to rnkmobilerverepair.com, click on the website, get their number, save it in your phone in case you need their services. It's better to have the insurance on these sort of things and keep the family happy than it is to take a chance. Now, with all that being said and out of the way, I'm going to get to this special episode with a Super Bowl coming up. I talked to Luke Jenkins. He's been to 12 Super Bowls. I think he's worked 12 Super Bowls, he said, and worked for several professional teams as the head groundskeeper and just an all-around super interesting guy. And I had the greatest conversation with him being a sports nut like I am. You get to see the behind the scenes of some of what goes on in the Super Bowl and He even tells a little bit about the halftime show and some of the stuff that they do there. So I'm not going to give any more away because he's got an inspirational story about grabbing opportunities whenever the door opens. Please enjoy Luke Jenkins. And we're recording. Easy enough. All right, Luke. um, I guess like we were talking before, just Mm -hmm. take us back to the beginning of how you got and I guess explain your grounds crew life and where that started and where it all began. Okay, it um it it all started in um in Louisiana. I was raised in a little small town, really north of a small town in uh north of Covington, Louisiana. And we were always outdoors, always doing sports and uh and agriculture basically. Uh we grew up. My my father was a sheriff's deputy and my mother worked in the school board office and so we were constantly, really it started back as early as playing in church league softball and, and everybody had to, to do the field and everybody had to uh, put their time in uh, to do that and uh, uh, never thinking that I would eventually uh, do something like that for a living. And once I went to college, I majored in agriculture 
and uh, with a lot of agronomy and horticulture and uh, got a business ag degree and got out of college. And I worked for a company uh, for five years doing uh, ag-related um, uh, safety and and uh, as a PR person uh, uh, for Louisiana Farm Bureau and uh, really wasn't really sure if that's something I wanted to do you know, long-term. And after five years, I had a friend of mine was in the nursery business. He said, Hey, I, I call on a lot of golf courses and stuff. And he said, um, I know a golf course is looking for an assistant. And he said, I think you'd be perfect at it. He was one of my best friends. I'm like, I'm not real sure. So, um, we go and I interview and I remember the guy to this day, we became good friends. He said, well, um, do you think you're going to like this kind of work or not? And I said, I have no idea. There's only one way to find out. And he <laughs> said, I agree. And so he hired me. And as an assistant groundskeeper on a 36-hole facility, and we managed 1,200 acres, and um, he was a great boss and, and friend and mentor in the grounds business. His name was Steve Alexander. Uh, and he was very basic and very detailed he taught me a lot of just uh the the basics how uh day in and day out um to to do the grounds business and and uh the detail part of it and uh from that point he was uh he was going to be there and he really wasn't going anywhere superintendent so if i wanted to move up i was going to have to go find another job branch out i was gonna have to branch out and so i guess he started to like it then yeah i really liked it i enjoyed the yeah. work it was outdoor work uh it was long hours uh, uh but uh, I, I enjoyed the work and uh and uh so um some kind of way i guess you know i mean my my faith has always been a big part of my life and and my family and um I think for whatever reason, I think just I, I, I started thinking about going from the golf course side to the athletic side. And uh, I'd taken a job as an assistant on a course in Florida to get some uh, tournament experience. Uh, like PGA tournament experience? Yeah, it was a, a LPGA, JC Penny Classic, the, the PGA and LPGA. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, those things are like those courses they play on are just. I've only played yeah. on. I think I've played on two before. Yeah, and they're pristine. Yes, it, it was. Uh, it was an experience. I really didn't expect it. The uh, L, um, LPGA and the PGA played that joint tournament together down there on this course, and uh, the budget was immense. The crew <laughs> was immense, and so everything was. Um, it, it, it was, uh, but it was a tough experience. It was, uh, uh, after I got into, um, I'm like, I'm not sure if this is, you know, exactly what I want to do and some circumstances called. And I feel like that's when God opened up the door, uh, for the athletic side. And I kind of cold turkey, uh, called on LSU. We had, uh, grew up in Louisiana. My parents had season tickets for, since the 50s oh wow and uh my brother graduated from there i mean of course my wife becky graduated from there also and a lot of family and 
I just called on them cold turkey to see if they had any openings or, or kind of just to see how the operation worked or things worked. And I was back at the golf course that I originally started under um, um, working there, still knowing I had to branch out. And um, they um, finally I called back and just touched base and, they said, no, nothing's really up. And then the next day, which I'll never forget it, and it shows you how things uh, uh, work out. And I feel like uh, God opened this door, and this is how it all began. Is I called them, uh, no, we don't have anything. Uh, I get a call the next day, which is uh, on a Wednesday. And... The guy said, I'm not sure what I was thinking about. He said, I kind of forgot about it. He said, but there is an opening to manage Tiger Stadium. And he said, are you interested? And I said, yes. And he said, well, if you are, you need to call this guy because they're really moving quickly. So I called uh, the guy. He gave me the number, John Simak, and uh, who was an interesting guy in himself. He played for Vince Lombardi back in the oh, 50s. Oh, man. You had to be a character. And he was a character, and he was um, just That's old cool school. to know somebody that yes. – that is so cool to know somebody and be able to pick the brain that played for Lombardi. Yes, and he was uh, – uh, he played in an era to where, you know, if you got hurt, you just – you played with broken yeah. bones, you uh, – or you didn't have a job. But he was just a unique individual, great guy. Uh, I called him that afternoon on a Wednesday and he said, Hey, can you come tomorrow for an interview? And my friend, Steve and super, he said, Hey, you got to go. So I went and interviewed on a Thursday and, uh, spent three or four hours with him, uh, explained the situation. I said, most of my experience is in grounds and it's golf course, not athletics. And, uh, I have no stadium experience or facilities. He said, well, that's, you know, he said, we may can deal with that. And, um, was there, is there a big difference between the two? It, the facilities part of it, uh, is completely different from the ground. So facilities part of it's the maintenance. You have the scoreboards, the elevators, you have oh, okay. trash cleanup, okay. you have bathrooms that you have to get ready. Uh, Whereas field preparation is where, you know, you is your agronomy part and you have to uh, tend the grass year round. Uh, so and, that was the same as what you did. Yeah, what I've been doing. The, the difference is, is you're getting it ready for football players, different cutting heights, and you're painting lines and then you learn to paint logos. Oh. And I thought you, like, so part. I was, I was thinking you just took care of the one like just the field and the grounds and everything else, but that's all encompassing. Uh, it is broken up now to where usually I, I, I was probably one of the few guys that was doing the field and the stadium. That's a tough thing and, to handle. And I had two different crews and then it, uh, it's, it, it, it was. And, and it, the interesting thing is I didn't have any experience and I went home that Thursday night going, you know, I'm not real sure. I get a call Friday morning. He said, I want to offer you a job. <laughs> and I said, okay. And this is where I think God opened the doors. I said, I have to step out in faith. And so I said, he said, you know, will you take the job? And I said, absolutely. I said, when do you need me to start? And he said, Monday. Oh, geez. 
So <laughs> that was the most unique uh, part that I made the call on Wednesday, mm-hmm. talked to him on Thursday, interviewed on Thursday. He offered me the job on Friday, and I started on Monday. How far away was your other job from this thing? It was uh, about an hour. Okay, so it was you two different cities. It's yeah. not like two different states. So you you weren't like crazy far away where you couldn't no. make that commute at least. No, yeah. I was not crazy far away. And the guy I worked for, uh, who who became a good friend, my superintendent, and and kind of my grounds mentor, Steve. He um, he said, "Look, you know, you you got to take this. You don't worry about a two week notice. You know, this is an opportunity." You got to take this. No hard feelings. No hard yeah, feelings. You're not burning and, and the bridges. owner of the golf course, we went and talked and burning no bridges because, uh, you know, because uh, they are, they said, "Can I start on Monday?" And I said, "I, I have to talk to my superintendent, uh, the guy I work for." So everything cleared out. I had a friend in Baton Rouge who worked actually for LSU that I knew from my original job that I worked out of college. Uh, I called him. I said, hey, I got the job. He wants me to start Monday. He said, come stay at my house. He had two young (laughs) girls, moved them out of their room, and put me in their room. And I started to work at LSU on Monday, on that Monday. And and that started uh, my career in athletics. And uh, it started my stadium management. I had eight days with the stadium manager that was leaving. And then uh, I had it. And uh, went through my first season, but not only did I manage football, we I also managed baseball. Did uh, uh, the baseball stadium at LSU, and that year LSU uh, won their first national championship. That was in 1991. So I got a ring uh, off of that, and that's uh, off. That's really yeah. We were looking at that. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's a pretty ring. Yeah, that's really cool. And uh, so. We also set up for gymnastics. Uh, my crew also uh, worked track meets at LSU, so we were just very multi-purpose. Yeah, and uh, is that a normal thing? It 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 was probably back then. I think now they have guys that are more specialized, but I think even on the colleges, you'll probably have a assistant director of athletics over ground and facilities, and he will have groundskeepers that may work. You know. One guy may stay strictly at baseball. One guy may work football and, and softball. And then uh, you have your your soccer stadiums. And when I was at LSU, they had not started soccer. This was in the 90s, 91 to 94, 5, I think. And that's where I learned really a baptism by fire <laughs> was – I moved in. I, I knew the agronomy part. I knew the science part. Yeah. I really learned the facility part of it and managing a stadium. And uh, on on Saturday nights, I would have probably eight to ten people hooked up on radios on game night. Everybody from school board people to elevator people to plumbers to electricians. Uh, we tried to cover anything that could go wrong when you're putting 70, 80,000 or 100,000 people Man. in a stadium. And uh, then television was a big part of that also. Uh, they, they, there in the 90s, it was more regional television, mm-hmm. but they started televising more games. ESPN was getting into it pretty big. And so 
it was really a, a great experience. It was a, a great athletic department around a lot of great people. Um, my boss again was John Simak, and he he basically turned me loose. It was uh, you know. It seems like good bosses always do that. Yeah, they do. They hire he, people for yeah. a job, and then they just let them yeah. do it. He said, you know, I need to know if there's a problem. And he said, if I hear of a problem, he said, I'll let you know. And other than that, um, he let me run it and uh, had some good guys working under me, which you always do. You never do that, do any of this alone. Uh, yeah. And, and had some great guys working under me. And so that's where I moved into the athletic side. And it was a baptism by fire. It was very intense. It was high energy at times, uh, long hours. Um, I was going to ask how stressful it would be knowing you got to take care of the field. It's going to be on television. You've got the, ultimately you've got the pro team that's in Louisiana. You basically, I mean, yeah. almost. Well, the it's, Saints, you the Saints you, yeah, you had the Saints. LSU is right equal with them. I mean, it, the Tigers was, are right there. It was big business in, in Baton yeah. Rouge in Louisiana. Yep. And uh, big business and uh, very high profile. And uh, And at times it was... It was stressful. I think the uh, the game days, the television games. I had a pre-game, pre-week checklist, and then I had a game day checklist that just every detail you can think of, just trying to cover um, well, you what watch, could go wrong. Would you watch everybody do it, or would you like you delegate it out and then you make sure it gets done? I mean, there's a lot of moving parts that you're talking about. That there have is, to, like, yeah. And you've got to make sure that the field looks good. Yes. Because uh, what most people, believe it or not, when you walk into a stadium, one of the first things you see is the field. Oh, yeah. And and so you notice the field. And uh, I did I did delegate. I had people working for me, but I was also very hands-on. Uh, I've always been a hands-on guy. I worked with the crew, worked with the guys. Uh, but I followed up a lot. You know, I, I delegated a lot, but I also followed up, made sure checklists were done. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, in the staff meeting uh, on Monday. It was you. Yeah. You're the one that's got to stand against the fire yeah, squad. And, and uh, if something went bad on the field or something happened in the stadium or whatever news cycle was going to do, it was going to be um, it was going to be me. But. You know, Joe Dean was my athletic director, and he he treated me and um, and uh, Becky very well, and 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 they 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 would have your back. And but I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. I would probably still be there today, if not. But it, it was I did work a lot of lot of lot of different sports, and you pulled in a lot of different directions, but. From there, the opportunity came up. I got a call from a construction management person and an engineer that were working on plans to build the New Orleans Saints, a new training facility. And we had just redone Tiger Stadium and and did some things there, and I don't know how they really. I never really asked how they got my name. I was about to say, like, yeah. how, did, how does your name just pop up it, out of it, all the it, resources they have? That, I, that I think what up. you said earlier that LSU is very high profile in the state, yeah. And so I think there were articles, and they probably saw, but somebody 
somebody mentioned my name or somebody said, hey, why don't you call maybe the guy at LSU? They just did some work and see. And so they, I, I, I get a random call from, from the, from the, it was the architectural engineering and, and the management company guy. And he was the project manager and, uh, they were in the early stages, the very early stages. As a matter of fact, all they had was a, uh, a piece of ground that the state of Louisiana was going to, uh, give them, uh, as an incentive and uh, a set of plans and so they asked me and it was in season I'll never forget because it was still in the season they called me and said hey do you think you could come down and uh, and talk to us and look at our plans and uh, you know give us give us kind of some ideas on uh, if if we're heading in the right direction or not and I said you know I really would it it, it in a sense, it kind of caught me off guard. I'm in the middle of the season. I actually have one home game left, maybe. You're not planning on going maybe anywhere? Maybe two. I love LSU. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. So my first reaction was like, man, right now is not a good time. I said, we are – I'm in the middle of back-to-back home games. And uh, they – I said, it's just kind of not a good time. And <laughs> – I don't know why really I said that. And they said, well, hey, no big deal. You know, uh, just let us know. We don't have to. It doesn't have to be in the next two weeks. Just let us know if you can do it. I said, okay, it'd be great. Guy gave me his name. I went home. I tell Becky about it, and I told her the story. I said, just right now is not a good time. And just like the wonderful, you know, helpmate she is, she just <laughs> gradually, she said, well, hey, you don't have to go now, but just tell them, hey, give me a couple weeks. Let me get wrapped up here, and, and I'd be glad to come down there. Did this require a move? Did you know this would require I a didn't, move? I didn't know. That, at this point, this was not even a – this was them coming, asking me just to come look at their plans. I'm just trying to get in Becky's head. Yeah. Because so far she's like she's had the golf. Because were y'all married when you did the we, golf course? I was not. You weren't. You no, were not. it wasn't until we I got the LSU that we got okay, married. Okay, so that mm-hmm. so you're you're there yeah. in LSU and then you get the job offer. Okay. Yes. Okay. I got so that now. Right. I'm at LSU working and there's really no job offer. It's just uh, hey, can you come down and look at our plans? And you know Becky's always just had a level head and 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 great advice since we've been married. And she just said. You know, don't just tell them, hey, um, you, you'll be, you know, you could do it, but you just need some time. And so I called him back the next day. I said, hey, look, I didn't mean to be, you know, sound like I don't want to help. I do want to help you guys. You know, the Saints are in in the in, in our home state, and uh, we were Saints fans, and uh, and and so I said, I've just kind of wrapped up in my my thing i said i'd be glad if you could give me a couple weeks i'd be glad to come down and visit you guys and they said that's perfect they said when you finish the season give us a call so still no idea what this entailed so i went down after the season was over and met them at the saints training facility which i was quite quite surprised to see the condition was like it was ratty really it was uh i I didn't expect a pro team but they're 
owner before Mr. Benson was John Meekham. He lived in Houston. He was an absentee owner. He put the Saints kind of in a temporary facility, and they stayed there temporarily for 30 years. Nobody <laughs> nobody says anything in the meantime like, hey, well, maybe we need some better facilities. Yeah, they do, team. but, you know, uh, Meekham doesn't want to spend the money, and, and so Mr. Benson buys the team, and he's like, you know, so it still boils down they probably – uh, negotiated, so I think as part of the, uh, the the Superdome was under the Superdome Commission, and they that's what they were in the process of doing. They they had to do something. The facilities were really outdated and antiquated, and even for a and and you can talk about these NFL teams have the best of the best of the best of everything. I mean, I'd seen high school facilities that were Here better in than Texas this for sure well i haven't even been to texas yet and and <laughs> and that's another story that blew me away when you get here to texas and see high school facilities but oh man so you have high school fields in louisiana and i've been through louisiana i used to work yeah. that i-10 route so i know like there's not a lot of money in those systems. No. And they have better fields than the Saints. Well, the, we had, yeah, our facilities at LSU was a ton better. And our practice facilities, we had an indoor facility We at LSU. So I go down, I was a little bit, you know, shocked about uh, um, the situation. And I met with them. I actually... Uh, uh, they brought in another guy that worked for the NFL who was over the Super Bowls at the, at the time. I knew who he was. And so once we looked at everything, and, um, I, I, you know, I think I was able to add some things to do and not to do. And I think even uh, at the time, I think Coach Moore came out and uh, – and, talked with us about different things. We looked at the plans. It was great plans. It was going to be a 20-acre complex, a 64,000-square-foot training facility with uh, locker rooms and, and training room and weight room on the bottom, offices and stuff on top, and practice fields uh, out to the north side and, and, and to, the, to the east side. And uh, really just a, a nice facility. So after we finished and, and uh, they took lunch, uh, they surprised me with, uh, with a uh, basically a question that's like, hey, if we do this, would you be interested in coming to work for us? <laughs> right uh, there on the... Right, wow. right there. Wow. Completely surprised. And again, I went, I... I need to think about, you know, yeah, th- this is, this is something I need to think about. So you've already got your dream job. Like I'm working, already... I'm working at a place truly, like you say, is a dream job. Yeah. And, uh, so, um, back home, I'm, you know, Becky, I mean, this is what happened. And, uh, so we discussed it and I actually, uh, we just, Becky and I discussed it at length. And I'm like, okay, this is, it almost feels like God's opening up another door, you know, and you don't, you know, know if you step through or not. I actually went back to work after a few days and I sat down with Coach Simak, who was my boss, the one that he played for Vince Lombardi, and he also coached in the pros, 
coached uh, on a collegiate level, and uh, and I told him uh, what had what had happened, and he kind of looked at me. He said, "I'm going to tell you." He said, "I've played in the NFL." He said, "I've coached in the NFL," and he said, "I've coached in the collegiate level." He said, "If you get an opportunity to go work for a professional football team," he said, "My advice to you would be to take it." I wasn't going to be going to work for a uh, Superdome commission or for a stadium thing. I was actually going to be going to work for an NFL, te- an NFL team, which yeah. there's only, it, it, I guess, 32 of them or, at the time. That's Think about that. For, yeah. like, just think about that right there. Yeah. There's only 32. In the, in the world. And, and 32 so, of your position exists. And, 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 and then that's what we started thinking about um, – Man, when you think about that, that is, that's something else. Yeah. Like, only 32, like, so there's more positions on a team, like, to play the game. Yes. You have a better percentage chance, basically, of getting a job playing, like, playing on a team than you do of being a ground, head groundskeeper. Yes. And, and and with the facilities part of it. And again, they wanted a guy to come do the manage the facilities and and the grounds. So I was going to be encompassing again, but it was going to be one sport. It, instead of me having to do football and baseball and track and gymnastics and everything, I was going to be able to focus on one thing. One thing. And now that this- was appealing a little bit cuz at times you felt really torn and uh so over time, um, uh, uh, talked to them. I went down and interviewed with the Saints, and uh, they offered me the job. And uh, so I took it. And that was probably the mid '90s. And then things, the, the the way things operated from there was amazing because uh, during construction, the guy that built my fields was. Uh, Jim Anglia, and he had his own construction field construction company who got the bid to do that. I was over the construction part of it for the Saints, too, monitoring the construction every day and of the building and and then uh, the fields. Uh, and the guy that built the fields was a head groundskeeper for the Texas Rangers uh, in Dallas or Fort Worth. So I got to know him, and I went, and then the NFL consultant that came down, I met him, and it was, I think, my I went to work uh, 94, 95 with the Saints, and then 1997, the Super Bowl came to New Orleans. That was Super Bowl 31. And so I was two years into my tenure with the Saints and uh, really enjoying it. And you've already got a Super Bowl now. Well, yeah. at the time I didn't know, they, they – the Super Bowl was going to be in New Orleans. The NFC team would practice at the NFC training facility, which is ours. The AFC team practiced downtown uh, at Tulane. Okay. So the NFL sent people in, crews in, to get practice facilities ready and, and to work on the, do- the dome. I mean, they probably had 24, 25 guys that came in. So they came over, uh, George Toma, who was uh, the legendary? Um, he's worked all fifty-two Super Bowls now. Oh my on the, goodness! On the ground, he's one of two people I think. This uh, there's another photographer maybe 
We'll get it's further into it, but how many Super Bowls have you worked? I've worked 12. 12, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And that started in 97 was my first one. And so they allowed me to, they came in and monitored, but basically I ran our facility for the NFL. Uh, Green Bay was in it, and they practiced there. Had a great team that year with uh, Farb, and um, it was like a who's who of uh, Was that the one he won? That's the one he... He won. He beat the Broncos in that. No, the Broncos yeah, they, beat them. They, that's he. Which he one was won, that? Uh, that year in '31. No, it was. I don't think it was Favre. I think it was. Uh, I forget. Well, they played the Patriots that year, and uh, they beat the Patriots. Bill Parcells was coach at the Patriots at that and time. Wouldn't it have to be them? It wasn't. I don't think. Did they go before? I think it was. He was a young. Yeah, it had to be. It was Favre, and. Uh, that was his first one, I think. Yeah, and Maybe I could we could be wrong, but I I don't think they went before that because it was Dan Mikowski. How is it? Magician? They called him the magician because he had Mikowski. Yeah, I can't remember something like him. That. Anyway, he and then something happened to him, and Favre came in. Yeah. So that time right. frame, that time frame, kind of long. It could be, good. and I, I may have that that time, but it was Green Bay. They practiced at our place. And so I got to know the people for the NFL that, that manages the Super Bowls. And so when they left and the Super Bowl was over, they asked me, would I be interested in working on the crew? <laughs> and so I went to my people with the Saints, and they said, sure. Oh. So that's how I wound up. Then the next year, I went to San Diego and uh, worked that Super Bowl. Then I think I worked, an, uh, maybe I skipped a year or two. Uh, then I did five in a row, but I've done 12 over the last 20, and still 21 doing years. Um, yeah, I can if I, if I want to. Like this year, I'm not going. Uh, last year, you didn't go, but the year before last year. Yes, right? I went yeah. the year before last in Houston, and then I worked Super Bowl 50 in Santa Clara. So I've gotten to work Super Bowl 50, which is a big milestone. I got to work Super Bowl 40. Um I've had some interesting. Of course, the Patriots have been in a lot of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just uh, just the uh, odds. But I've also been at the two where the uh, you know I was at the one that the Patriots lost to the Giants on the last miracle. The catch, catch, and uh, was actually standing in the end zone. Our crew toward the end of the game, we make sure we around the field. As soon as the game's over, we got to get the pylons and get the things so people won't take that stuff. And so we're standing there. I was actually standing right in the end zone when uh, Plaxico caught that pass from Eli to to win it uh, with probably about 50, 52 seconds left. So I got to see quite a few games, Uh, some of them not so good. Uh, We're on the field. Sometimes we run the nets. Sometimes the home stadium crew run the nets. But usually we're on the field. Uh, Our biggest – I've seen some – good Super Bowl football games, and I've seen some not so good, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, I've seen a lot of football games. <laughs> yes, you have. In general. You would have had to see a so lot of football it, games. It, to, you know, when it's your job and it's your work, uh, you see a lot of them, so it's a little different, you know. You look at it a little different. As grounds guys, we're kind of watching the field and watching. We're watching the game, but we're watching a lot of other stuff too. You're not as caught up in it. You're, you're... No, we we're, we own radios. We have radios. Let's make sure, you know, if everything goes good and, and 
uh, it's a great night. If you see the grounds crew on the field during the game, things just aren't going well. So <laughs> it's just not a good – so you still feel that responsibility. So you're watching the game, trying to enjoy the game, but you're also working. Yeah. And you have that responsibility. Uh, the other part, big part of our responsibility during the Super Bowls was uh, – cleaning up and getting back from all the pregame show and all the halftime stuff. They Oh, I mentioned that. Oh, the halftime stuff is sometimes can be, I think the last one I work in Santa Clara, there was 31 pieces to the stage and they probably had over a thousand people out on the field. Now are you, are you on a time crunch in this? And to get them off to start at the certain time, and do you rehearse it? Yes, they rehearse constantly. We we don't monitor the time crunch. They are on a time crunch. I mean, like so. I'm yeah. saying you get it, you've got to get the field back and ready, and all those things off the field. Absolutely. As soon as halftime is over and they start breaking the stage down, you don't see it. We're lined up on the field, and as the stage is exiting the field. We're right behind them, and we have buckets, and we have things, and we're picking up. You can't imagine the all the stuff confetti we pick and up. the things that they they shoot Nuts out of cannons and, and bolts <laughs> and sunglasses <laughs> and just everything you can think of. Stuff falls off the stage. Uh, these and, are things I didn't even think about. The sunglasses oh, and the little these pieces. Kids. Now I'm like, all the things that are on the field that are going to mess up. Athletes, yes, the worst game. was in actually in New Orleans. My first one, they had motorcycles for pregame, and as soon as the pregame was over, the motorcycles got off the field. We were out picking up stuff, and I picked up a, uh, a lug nut off a motorcycle that was still hot. Uh oh, that was so you couldn't even hardly hold it. And we've picked up you know, you pick up just pieces of wire. And the the stage people and the halftime people do a really good job of building first class uh, um, stages and stuff like that. But it's still mechanical. It's a bang bang yeah. thing, though. You and can't it, be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no way you can go fast like that and make it pristine. And and, and you're allowing people yes. to come on the field. Yes. And it affects the uh, you know the concussion protocol now requires us when we're there that the field has to. Uh, um, basically, still have to read as a as a, a meter that they use the thump to to determine compaction, and it has to read under a hundred. The field does even. Yes, and so man, so you have staging, and you a, have a people. thousand people tromping. Oh, uh, so it's really a big uh, it's a big production. The halftime, and so we we're out there. Um, and uh, we're we're usually the last ones on the field or off the field to make everything. They're they're on kicking and punting and warming up, and we're still trying to get off the field um, uh, to get get it kicked back off. So that's always been a lot of fun. There's times to where we had blowers to where we tried to blow the field off after halftime on a natural grass field. So now we just basically line up and try to hand pick everything up. Oh man! And uh, just hope you don't miss anything. Um, we've had referees bring us stuff, you know, that they'll, they'll come hand you things. So, mm, well, we missed that, but, Uh-oh. uh, it's really, we didn't miss anything. It's just a, uh, 
you know, other people, it's crazy what people drop and what they bring. These they try to monitor what all these halftime people bring, but it's it's, it's impossible. almost impossible. It's impossible to get all the little yeah. things. Like I mean, you think about all the little things you could fall on. Yeah, like that you could bring in and nobody would even know. Yeah, and and uh, so that's been interesting parts of it is the halftime and and the and the pregame uh, part of it, and then actual preparing for the game is. Uh, we spend a lot of time. We have to tarp. Uh, a lot of times uh, we do a lot of tarping because of the halftime stuff and then painting of the logos. I'm not as, uh, uh, as experienced on a paint gun as some of the other guys, but we bring in guys. Some of them have been doing, you know, 18 or 20 Super Bowls and been doing this for a long time, and they're absolutely amazing uh, they're all, they're almost like an artist. And, it's uh, what they are. I, I mean, mean, you're drawing something that something has to. We have stencils, but the way they, you know, and 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 we don't take any shortcuts there. Everything is strung off, measured. You pull strings. We use straight lines and bars and paint. Uh, and so uh, these guys are really good at what they do and really talented. I've met some. Uh, Good guys, really good guys, and uh, Ed Mangum is the guy that runs it for the NFL, and he's also the head groundskeeper for the Atlanta Braves, oh. and he's been a a good friend for a lot of years. Uh, I first met him uh, on at Super Bowl Thirty One when he was on the crew, and uh, and so through the years uh, he runs it now, runs it for the NFL. And uh, he puts crews together. And also now that they have uh, is the uh, international games in London. I think they did five this year. So I think it was 2013 um, I did a game in London on that crew. Oh, nice. So That's awesome. At Wembley Stadium, which is their famed soccer stadium there in London. So it was um, – I think it was Minnesota and Pittsburgh. So uh, Eddie uh, gave me an opportunity to go over there and uh, and and work a game in London, and so that was a great experience. And I've had chances to go back, but uh, the Super Bowls and the international games—they're also playing them in Mexico. That's not my regular job. You know, my regular job's at Forty Four Farms, and I'm the director of farming operations and farming and ranching is 365 days out of the year and bob mclaren who owns 44 farms has been really good and uh it it at times encouraged me to go you know go work a game go go do this and uh well it gets me away from the ranch and farm a little bit and he also lets me keep my my groundskeeping skills up you know a little bit well the so Tying all, all this stuff together is fascinating because every door that opens, you it's like you don't hesitate. You just jump in it. You just yes, you, you, it, you've like you've like had opportunity, but yeah. you grab the opportunity every chance. Like every opportunity came up, you're like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, it's hard let's to do it. it's 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 kind of strange to look at it that way. And my process and the way I process and and I said early on my faith and and my belief in God and, and, and through Christ has always been a big part of who I am. No, am I perfect? None of us are. 
And I think that's why, uh, uh, you know, uh, but. Well, even uh, it, even it, religious based, it, it, you have some that are hesitant for the fact of thinking they're going to do something wrong. And your mindset yeah. is, your mindset is. My, my mindset is God has opened his door for a reason. Yeah. And there again is you're right. And I, I've, I've, I've. I've stepped through it. I've opened it. You know, I've had offers. I've done things that, uh, I mean, I came from a just a little small town country boy and had opportunities to, I never as a kid could have planned this out or dreamed this out going, oh man, I want to do this or this or this. It's only 32 of you those know, jobs available. Yes. And, and so, and Becky has been a gamer. I mean, she has moved. I mean, we moved from Louisiana to Houston, and, and uh, you know, I I went from working at LSU, you know, moving back to go to work for the Saints, moving, and then through the Saints, and, and basically uh, another door opened up. And That's what I was it, getting it's, to. It's, like, yeah. You know, I really love the Saints. I'm working for a team, and all of a sudden everything's rocking on along. Everything's going great. Uh, uh we're working there, got us a home. We're around family. Uh, Garrison, my first son, was born. And uh, actually, then Maddie came along, uh, you know, our second child. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call out of the blue. And it's the guy that built my fields with the Saints four years ago, who's still a groundskeeper in Arlington with the with the Rangers. And he goes, hey. He said, I just got off the phone with a guy in Houston. His name's Bob McLaren, and he's the president of the Astros, and they're going to be building a new downtown stadium. And he said, they're looking for a groundskeeper. And he goes, I thought of you. (laughs) And I went, oh, my goodness. Here we go again. (laughs) And I'm like, he goes, I'm not going to say anything yet. He said, but you think about it. He said, I know you. He was a man of faith. He said, I know you'll pray about it. He said, I know you and Becky will, you know, talk about it. He said, take whatever time you need. Uh, we'll do, a, we'll, you know, take a week or whatever. And and he said, just call me back and let me know what you think. And I said, okay. So I go home. I tell Becky, I said, here we go again. So we did process it. And we, we, we it's not like, you know, I jumped. It, 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 you know, I feel like I was jumping into it. Uh, I feel like Becky and I had a process, you know, we had that process and both of us, you know, she's a, she's a, a godly woman and she has her faith. And I think we prayed on it and we discussed it together. And this was a bigger move because we're going to a new state, a new city. We're leaving family, grandparents. We're taking and kids, just had kids, taking kids with us. And, uh, so it was a big move and but there again at the end of the day felt like we both felt like this was an opportunity and god opened this door again and so here i'm going from working for one of you know 30 32 teams and major league baseball is only one of the the, you know 30 teams at the time i think they've expanded since i went there and not only that, but they're building a downtown stadium, and it has a roof. It's, was it the first it, one it that was, had the retractable It was going to be the third one. Okay. It was uh, um, 
Um, I, uh, see, I think uh, Bank One was the first one in Phoenix, and then you had Seattle, or Seattle was the first in Bank Seattle. One. Then Milwaukee was opening up, but they had an accident. They were going to be three, and we were going to be four. That was the crane accident the that crane we always accident. see the safety videos on. Yeah. Yes. If nobody knows, what do they call it? Big Blue or something like Big that? Big Blue. Yeah. Uh, you can Google it and look yes. it up on YouTube. Well, yeah. we had we had went up and looked at that field probably two weeks before that accident. Oh, really? And so it set them almost a year season behind. So we were the third uh, major league team to open up with a roof and trying to grow grass under a roof. And uh, so it was the first time they'd been in the Astrodome for 30 years on turf. And uh, it's going to be the first time in 30 years that uh, they'd played baseball on real grass in Houston. So uh, I met Bob. They came over, actually came to the Saints because the – Trip Astro, Astros AAA team was right next door, and I'd met the guy and <clears throat> Bob McLaren is a uh, he's just a, a, a very uh, unique dynamic guy. Another guy, of faith, a strong faith, and uh, and when we met him, I told Becky, I said this might be a guy we want to go to work for. He he was uh, so. There's another door. We walked through it, moved to Houston, <laughs> Becky and I, and I think a cat and maybe a dog. I'm not real sure. And both kids <laughs> didn't know a soul. Most people are like feel fortunate if they get one shot. One shot. And yeah. you have. I had two. You I'm played. one of a few people that was able that I've actually worked for NFL and and did I've worked NFL and Major League Baseball. Well, really, it's it's four. Because you're working the golf course, you yeah. get LSU. Yeah. You got LSU, you get the Saints. Yeah. You got the Saints. Then I hit the And then the you get the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. So that's five. Yeah. This is five yeah. now with the with the Astros. So yeah. you've had five opportunities and doors open for you to just yeah make a decision on. Yes, and and it's been a uh, it's been a great great journey uh, through here with the Astros and 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 uh, that's another unique opportunity to try to figure out how to grow grass and play baseball under a roof uh great people uh in the organization uh had a great group of players too and and uh and really switching from playing in the astrodome they knew it was going to be a big switch going to natural grass and so i think they had a lot of patience with me and they uh but they set it up to where the players uh, had to go through to general manager Jerry, and then Bob McLaren was a big buffer for me. And uh, but I really loved the people I was working uh, working with, and uh, it was um, another unique opportunity. It was an opportunity to um, we you know we tried some different grasses in a in an athletic situation that had never been tried before. Uh, that they're using uh, even today in some other situations. Really? Oh wow! Um, that started working really well under the roof, and uh, so that that was a unique um, uh, part of the job. Working uh, baseball was another unique. It's so different than football, and uh, there's so many more games. Uh, believe it or not, there's 82 home games, and probably 
72 of them are at night. So, yep. yep. Um, it, unless it, you're the Cubs. Unless the you're the Cubs. And, but, but in Houston, <laughs> we had 705 starts. And yep. uh, we had some Wednesday afternoons. And then Sunday afternoons were 1 o'clock starts. Um, and, uh, but it was another great opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Um, the kids were young. Becky and I r- met some great people in Houston and good friends that uh, we still know today. And uh, but after about three seasons, uh, looked at the kids. There were times to where we were usually forty-five minutes to an hour after the last pitch. So if the last pitch oh, was at nine thirty or ten what, o'clock. What happens if they have that fireworks show after the end and all that? You got to wait till that's done too. Everything's done, and then we go out and start working on the field. Takes us about forty-five minutes to an hour to get everything cleaned up and prepped back. So before we leave. So I was getting yeah. one, two o'clock in the morning. Probably I averaged twelve thirty to one. Yeah, if you have extra innings, you're yeah. gonna go even later. It would go later. Yeah. And uh so it was uh, uh but I enjoyed again, it was high energy, a lot of people, uh stressful as heck. The baseball times. for this is the football. I, I think baseball was more stressful for me because when you walk into the stadium Everybody sees the grass. It's the it is the first thing a baseball yeah. fa- baseball player, baseball fan, everything. They love the field. They love the field. And People, if you have a good field, yeah. it is impressive. Yes. And yes. we here's the here's the little secret about baseball. You walk in as a fan, you see the field and it's pristine. Everything's striped up, looks like there's not a thing out of place. Well, if you get two ground ball pitchers, Seventy percent of the games played on the dirt, <laughs> so that's the yeah. the the grass and the the field was a science part. The dirt was the art part. Those players made a living. That ball came off the bat at one hundred and eighty to one hundred ninety mile an hour, mm-hmm. and that guy, you know, Bagwell at first base or Biggio at second base, and had Billy Spires at third or whoever was at short. They needed to be able to get down in front of that ball, in front of it, and know that it was going to have a true roll and not hop. No or, divots, no, no soft spots. Yeah, nothing so, like that. Uh, we really spent a lot of time working the dirt and getting it right. And then, then our pitcher's mound was another area to where guys throw and be able to. They dig on it all. They the time. dig it's and dig, com- and you need to make yeah. sure they're not slipping. You know. Uh, then the batter's boxes are big, big things. So we spent a lot of time in what I call in the, that's the meat and potatoes of baseball, the the details. The batter's boxes had to be perfect. Guys had to get swings and, and not slip. Um, the, the infield positions, they had to be able to know that the ball was going to roll true. And, the batter's box seems tough just playing at even any sort of level of baseball. Yes. Once you get up there, you start digging with steel cleats. Yeah. People dig and they dig and they dig yeah. with steel cleats and they, they swipe the dirt back to get a you know good foothold and yeah. divot in there. That creates a gigantic crater after it, a while. It it does. So I don't know how you keep that flat and level. We we go after every game and we sweep out those holes and we repack them with clay. 
and then everything is packed back with tamps and we 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 both left side and the right side same thing at the pitcher's mound you know you get two guys are throwing you know i don't know 140 50 60 pitches each you know and uh so your mound is is uh has to be repaired every night and uh then we redo the infield then moisture is a big part of the infield so we got to water it at night and then we come back in the next day and drag it and we water it and water it and and you got to get a feel for how much water because yeah. you put too much it gets a little it'll get too muddy and too wet if you don't put enough it'll get so hard that the balls will come off of it like you shooting them out of a gun have you have you ever made the mistake of too much water and then had like have you ever made those little mistakes like that and go, oh, I had too much water on the field? I, I've made plenty of mistakes. And uh, you get your nose bloodied from them and you learn from them. Uh, that's why baseball was so much more stressful. I've had over the three seasons, I usually, once the game got started, I would go, my guys would go eat. And I had great crews. You know, again, even at the Saints, I had great guys working for me. And then uh, when I went to work for the Astros, I just had just I had three full-time people work for me. And then at 5 o'clock, I'd bring in anywhere, what I call my game day crew, I'd bring in 15, 16 guys that worked other jobs. It'd be guys like you, that, but I want to commit. I'll come really? down there and work with you. That's the way the, the Astros did it? Yeah, that's the way I did it with the game day crew. I had a lot of guys that would get off work at 4 or 5 o'clock and come down and work with me. Wow. Because uh, we needed the people, you know, to get all the stuff off from bat and practice and work everything. You just you need it's, it. It takes quite a few people to get all that done. Are those guys getting the job because they just love it or because they're looking at getting into a position like No, you they loved it. They all had other jobs. I had some of them were in college, and, and other guys worked in the business at a local high school or something, you know, or uh, uh, and they would come down after work, and uh, they did it because they loved it. And uh, they were – you depended on them. And 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 it's crazy how many guys after eighty two home games I didn't have to worry about who was showing up or how many I was. They they <laughs> they um, as a manager of people. Yes, that right there, just that idea <laughs> of of that would stress me out. Knowing you're in a professional game, you're like yes. this thing has to go off perfectly. Yeah, and you got four guys don't show up. Yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. You, you know that's... these guys if they couldn't make it, they would let you know ahead of time. And you, all professionals. I, I had uh, other alternative people. I said, okay, well, you know, Big Mike and two other guys can't make it today, and I could call to, hey, can you make it? Or if we got really short, then we just would regain plan, and you just got to kick it in another gear. Guys would have to hustle up, and you know, <laughs> they might have to do two things, yeah, or they'd have to team up, and and because we only had. Once uh, batting practice was over and uh, and the teams got off or took infield or whatever it was, we only had X amount of minutes before the national anthem and they throw the first pitch because yep. they're televised. 
So TV's not going to go, oh, sorry. Hold on a second. Uh, we got to wait. The grounds crew's not ready. Yeah. No, you're going to be ready. Yeah. If not, you're not going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when I worked at the NFL, you yeah. know, the guys tell me, you know what that stands for, right? And I said, no. And they said, not for long. Oh. And uh, so you just had to kind of be on your game. And the same thing in, in Major League Baseball. So, again, it was detailed. And the stressful part for me, there was a time – that I would watch well, I, every game, I would usually let the guys go, and I would watch the first inning or the first half of the inning, make sure the mound was doing okay and everything was doing okay. Uh, I think in three seasons, I got called out during a game one time on the pitcher's mound. A, was a guy from the Florida Marlins was complaining about the mound that – uh, not real sure he was complaining. Uh, our guy was pitching a really good – sometime it could have been a ploy, you know, yeah, these yeah, managers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, baseball has got it's a, a lot of – It's a mental little chess piece game. It is a if you chess watch it, it's game. It's like little mental games to try to get you just a hair off. Yes, and yeah. our guy was pitching a really good game uh, through the eighth, and all of a sudden there's an issue with the mound, and they call me out and – the crew chief says, hey, what are we going to do? I'm like, you know, what's this? Let's you know, see what the problem is. And, you know, I said, I really, you know, before I do anything, I said, I really, you know, chief, I need to talk to our guy to see if he's having it. Because, you know, I'm looking at the school board. I'm like, he's not having that bigger issue. Yeah. So <laughs> he's, he goes. He likes the mound. And I went over and he goes, no, there's nothing wrong with the mound. I come back and the crew chief said, hey, you got to, you know, he said, no big deal. He said, rake around a little bit. He said, let's get back to playing. And so I got I, that, and that was in the middle of the game. And uh, we stop, and and so that's not something you want to want to happen. But it only happened that one time in, in, uh, in three years. So feel wow. blessed for that. Had a lot of other things happen. I had a few bad bounces um, in some games. Uh, uh, when Jimmy Williams was a manager, I got called into the manager's office, I think, two or three times early on. He had balls bounce over infielder's head, which is a no-no, you know, which meant it was too hard in front of home plate. So we had to work on that. Um, this is all something that I bet a lot of people don't know. Yeah. That the manager's sitting there going, I, I want this to play to our players. Yes. This field needs to play to our players. Yes. Some people might want that, like want well, the different levels. Biggio different loved it because Biggio would get two strikes on him. He, he chopped he, it. He would chop it and yep. bounce one over and get a double out of it. Yep. You know, and he he went into the Hall of Fame because he was a smart player. And so when Jimmy Williams got there, he said, I want the advantage to go to the pitchers, not the hitters. So he wanted it real soft up there. And uh, he didn't want any – uh, you know anything to be able to bounce high and then then run it out or beat it out. So we we it, it was it was a chess match and and in, uh, in the in the field, but we had to be careful because what you did for your team, you know, you 
you couldn't go do something to try to jeopardize the other guy because whatever you did, you your your guy had to pitch off that mound. Also yeah, 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 yeah in, yeah. in the batter's box. Now, but you just set it up for your style of team, like yes. the way you want to play the game. Yes, you you you're, he's and, uh, having you set up the field. Yes, the exact way. So if he sees that bounce, now he's mad. He's like, well. I should have never done that. Yeah. You know, and that I would get called died. in the office yeah. and I got my tail chewed out. With baseball <laughs> By the manager happened, of yeah. a baseball team. So you're not a player, but Chewing you are a player. Chewing a groundskeeper out. Yeah. You're well, basically we, the extra player for the team. We were part of it. You you were, you were with football, you have the feel and slipping and stuff and doing. You have some things. But it baseball was a lot more intimate with because of the mound and the batter's boxes, mm-hmm. your interaction with the players, how the players like things to play how the manager want things to play. And sometimes you get in between that, you know. Player wanted to play one way and manager wanted it another way. And then what do you do? Uh, well, I'm like, hey, I, I don't – I do, you know, I told him all the time, I don't make a living off of playing on this field. You guys do. I said, but I, I make a living trying to get it like you want it. I said, but, I, you know, I answered it to them too. And so it was a delicate deal but had a – Great group, and and uh, I feel like they they took good care. They did take good care of me because during playoff time, they they voted me a full share of playoff money. You know, so that tells you that they they well, appreciated what I did, and 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 that I was a part of it. And uh, well, obviously, what you've done, just your work, your work ethic. You, it doesn't look like other than the LSU job, you didn't go searching for an, a job. They no. called you. Yeah. So they obviously see yeah. something you're doing and words getting out of like, yeah. like, hey, this guy, everywhere this guy goes, good things are happening with the field and the react, like what they like. Hey, give this guy a call because he's good. Yeah. I never looked you know? at it that way, Harley, because I, I tried to stay. You, you, look. But your opportunities came because, they did, because of your effort and your job. I, I think they came. Uh, I did put in a lot of effort. I put in a lot of work. I put in a lot of hours. I, I cared about it, and uh, I think that's the that's the trick right there. Yeah, I, I really did. I, I cared about it. Uh, now, now I never looked at it as like, man, I'm just really because uh, uh, I made enough of mistakes and bloody my. I learned a, from my mistakes, and then I had people that helped me out uh, through it to help me get over some hurdles and, and to see some things that you may not see. But, uh, I, it, it was never for a lack of effort or work or hours or, or I told it, like I used to tell the guys, no shortcuts. You cannot shortcut this, 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 what we do. I know we do a lot of the same things every day, but as soon as we start taking shortcuts, you know, it's when, um, you're gonna have a player that's that's making eighteen thousand dollars or eighteen million a year, you know, going to DL for fifteen days. <laughs> yeah, and and I promise you, we won't, you know, we won't be here. Yeah, and, you're and, not gonna make it past that one. You can make it past a ground ball over no, it. You can't I, make it past that. I one. I watched one game. St. Louis was in for a three game series, and I watched our team take the field. And I watched St. Louis's team come off the field. Just nine guys went on, nine guys came off. And I quickly figured up in my head just from reading the paper and what I knew about them, and it was $85 million worth of players. Swapping sides? Swapping sides. (laughs) So, uh, 
Yeah, that was stressful. You yeah. know, because who would think you play 162 games of baseball and it come down to the last day of the season whether you were going to win number 162 to go to the playoffs or lose number 162 to stay home. Because less teams go. It's not that many go. And, like, it's no big deal on game number two or game number 32 or game number 42 if you lose it. But you lose game number 162 to stay home, you're out. You know, you could have won game number 32 (laughs) and you wouldn't be there. So when it gets down to the end and things are really tight and it's a really tight race, things are exciting, but they're also pressure-packed. You know, one bad hop and a a run scores, you know, or or one one bad bounce or momentum you know, changes the whole game changes the the pitcher slips and and hits a batter and you know it um i live in fear of our pitchers uh you know pull it slipping and pulling something and then you you do play 160 something games and you got your uh 18 game winner goes on the dl for 15 days well that's three starts he's potentially yep. missing yep and uh so those are the kind of pressures with baseball that I live with. And I think uh, you thrive on that some, and and it keeps you motivated. The fear, the fear of failure is a strong motivator, I'm going <laughs> to tell you. And I think at times that was uh, probably, you know, how I felt. Just that I, I'm not I, – the fear of failure kept me – Your fear of failure. Yes. Your fear of failure. Other people think I'm probably – everything's okay. My fear of failure in some in – some, just uh, it was a real strong motivator for me. I think a lot of people look at that. Yeah. I've heard that Kobe is like – Kobe Bryant does the same thing. He would yeah. – he would like the fear of failing in that moment. Or losing or – Or losing yeah. or making a mistake. And if he made a mistake on the floor, it used to eat at him. Yeah. And just that sort of thing pushes people to be great at what they do. Yeah. It's just it, – they, they don't constantly look at how good they are at something. Like, oh, I did that. I'm awesome. They yeah. constantly look at I, where can I improve. Yeah. And I think with me, I did. I constantly wanted to improve. I constantly wanted to get better. And I think and, – and we did. There's no doubt we did. Um, would I still be there today? Could I be able to relax and maybe watch a game? I'm not sure with my personality. <laughs> you know, because I still feel the – Lot of, but I think your experience helps you, and you calm down oh, through the years, down. and everything slows down. But with the pressure, and um, that made me work. Um, I, I would work long hours, a lot of days, uh, and there again, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, want to be a good husband, and, and I want to be a good father, yeah. and. Um, I loved it. It was exciting. Uh, it was pressure packed. Um, sometimes it was it, well, a lot of times it was stressful, and it put you under a lot of stress. And then at the end of the day, I think with the Astros, I started looking at my son, and he was nine at the time, and Maddie was like six, and I'm going, I maybe have eight or nine more summers with him, and then he's going to be gone. Yeah, And I kind of started looking at that, and I'm like, and Becky and I always talked, if it become an issue, you know, we'd make a change. Will it 
really wasn't an issue with our family or between Becky and I. It was me spending a lot of time away from home. Becky had things down pat. She could run the household. It was eating at you, not it, her. It, not not as bad because Becky was like a single mom during the season. You know, when you start in March and you go all the way through October. So during that period, she was, um, man, she was, she, she, like I was at my job is how she was with the family and the kids. She had the details. She had it down. It was me that was spending a lot of time away from home, a lot of time away from the kids. And uh, Becky and I were, were fine. She she could start sensing when I started missing. She'd bring the kids down downtown to the stadium, you know. Oh, nice. and so they'd come in the office and be around down there, especially when school's out. Um, she'd bring them down a lot more, which, uh, which helped me. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I'm like, you know, uh, I'm not sure if this is what I want to do over the next 10 or 15 years and – uh, and miss that that part of, of fatherhood. Yeah. And uh, so I started looking and um, uh, with really not a not a lot of regret. regret I really enjoyed it. I, I've never been one to kind of look back and do a bunch of regrets. And so I wound up going to Second Baptist Church in Houston, which had three campuses, and they had an athletic facility. And I went to work for them managing their athletics and uh, their grounds. Uh, again, Dr. Young and and th- this church, I mean, he, he would run it. He ran it like a Fortune 500 company and uh, uh, won state championships in baseball there and uh, really high-quality kids. We had several number one draft choice uh, picks came out of high school that that came through second baptist and so really enjoyed my time there and it allowed me to slow down and uh, uh then then kind of be the father and kind of do some of the things that i wanted to do yeah and i started coaching baseball i'll never forget i was on the field the year after i left the following year the astros opened up at minute made and I was on the baseball field coaching Garrison that night they opened up. And it was strange That's in a way. Uh, yeah. It was yeah. very strange because I'm like, I'm listening to it on the radio and I'm not there. But I'm on the baseball field looking at my son. I felt I was at peace. I felt like that's where God wanted me to be. And that's where I needed to be. And I've never looked back. And it was it was awesome. And uh, uh, Well, it's kind of hard to regret when you've taken every opportunity. Yes. You know, you yeah. can't you can't regret. I think that's a big lesson that a bunch of people can learn is that whatever that little hesitation is that you, that keeps you from taking a good opportunity for you. If you take it, you're not going to ever regret. What if you did? Right. You never, you wonder if you wonder if I wonder if I wouldn't have took it. And Becky and I has always had the philosophy that we feel like if it's open a door, let's take it. God's going to bless us. Whether we, I think whether we take it, we're going to find our blessings and in, in, in if we take this and if it don't work out, I still think we're going to be blessed from it. We're going to meet people. We're going to experience things that... It's still going to work out. I think so. <laughs> I really yeah. think it's going to... And, and really for us, it has. And uh, the, the Bob was president of the Astros and his family had been farming and ranching in Central Texas for, you know, his great-grandfather's brand was a... 
you know, is 110 years old this year. And so, uh, with, with, with working still in grounds and, and my degree was in agriculture and, and I've always, uh, really thought the world of Bob as a friend and a mentor and he calls and wants me to go back to work for him. And I'm like, I can't pass that up. And so I've been in farming and ranching and I've worked for him. I've worked seven or eight Super Bowls in the last 10 years, I think, or I think I've worked seven out of the last 10 or seven out of the last 11. And, uh, so I've had really great experiences with him. I'm back out working on a ranch. We see some, you know, I used to work in bigger cities to where you're around 35, 40,000 people all the time. Now I'm working at a ranch where sometimes I don't see anybody all day yeah, long. Yeah, you really are in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and it's, uh, but it's, but it's peaceful. I've seen some unbelievable sunrises and unbelievable sunsets. You th- see things in nature, and and I do like, the agriculture. I like uh, I like the grounds part because I like to grow in things. You know, we still at the end of the day with the Saints and with the Astros and the LSU. Um, I, I was dealing with a living, growing organism all the time. You know, and we were. It, it's it, it it was constant. Things change, weather changes. You know, insect disease. It's. Uh, you name it, it's something that we deal with. I'm deal I'm dealing with it now, but I'm just dealing with it on a different level and and uh, you know, enjoy the heck out of it. And and uh, so it's one of the things to where uh, you know, I'm just I, I'm at peace with it all right now. I've I, I have not worked a Super Bowl this year, could have, and just basically decided that <laughs> you know, I, I think it's time that um you know, I just do something different, and, and or not do something different. Yeah. I'm just at peace with it all right now, and and and, but I've really am thankful and grateful for the opportunities I've had, and the people I've met, and the people that have helped me along the way, people has mentored me along the way, because I've made a I've made my share of mistakes, and and uh, I've I've survived them, you know, without. <laughs> You know, getting fired from jobs, and uh, yeah. that's that's been a big uh, uh, thing. But um, I've probably been harder on myself at times too than than probably I should have. I think as I did get older and as I started working more Super Bowls, I became a whole lot more relaxed w- with with it. And maybe as I've gotten older, and maybe experience helps. You know, you yeah. you have a clear understanding of what you do and what your role is and you're not so uptight about it. And so when things do go wrong or you're not constantly looking what could go wrong, but trying to enjoy, you know, where you're at. And, uh, that's been a, the, the biggest benefit is, uh, you'll get through the tough times. You, my experience now, sometimes you can see them coming quicker, you know, down yep. the road. Yep. And, uh, but you know, mother nature is still, uh, uh, can teach you valuable lessons when you're dealing with grounds and you're dealing yep. with outside stuff. And uh, so that's that's the fun part, too. And, and the fun part has been the relationships and friendships. And it's allowed us to move here to College Station, and, and we've met a whole new group of friends. And my kids went yep. to school here, and we've met people like you. And um, at the end of the day, that's what life's about. It's, it's, it's people, uh, 
getting to know people and that's the whole reason I do this right yeah, here. Yeah. It's it's more beneficial for me because I get to talk and meet people and yeah, uh, just hear what they're all about. It is. It's about people. We've done an hour and sixteen minutes. Wow, isn't that crazy? Yeah, I could keep going. Yeah. I could just keep going. Like this, could just keep going the whole time. That's but. that's awesome. Well, <laughs> it was that's, fun, man. Yeah, that's about it. So yeah. I think that's about my story. <laughs> so. Awesome, Luke. Well, thank you. You're welcome.